this is Miss Y. I've got lots of tips and tricks and relevant art lessons for you and your art class. Welcome to episode seven of Art with Ms. Y. We're gonna talk about the successes and pitfalls of teaching art over Zoom. To get started, I'm gonna rewind, go back in time, and remember what things were like in March of 2020. Schools were closed down, in-person learning was on hold, and parents, families, teachers, administrators, educators, we're trying to scramble to figure out how to meet the needs of our students. And a lot of people, including myself, decided to do art teaching over Zoom. The online learning realm exploded. There were lots and lots of new websites, new uses for Zoom, people who were unfamiliar with doing online learning or talking or video chatting, now all of a sudden had to learn it for themselves and also teach it to their kids. So in this moment of March, 2020, I was at a point where I had six weeks of summer art camp in person fully booked. So here I was with 72 students enrolled in an in-person camp, and I knew that I could not deliver the in-person camp, which is what they signed up for. So I took about a, a couple of weeks to really think about what it is that I want to offer. And I had the choice of canceling and giving everyone a refund, or I could still deliver what I wanted to deliver, but in a different way. So I thought about my mission statement for Art with Miss Y. My mission statement is to engage and empower kids ages six through 12 and their parents through arts and crafts projects. That did not change. They still need that. I just had to come up with a different delivery method. And that's where Zoom came in. And that's where I was able to think of a way to offer the same quality lessons, but offer them in a different way. So I talked to parents. I did a poll. I even did a free Zoom parent night where parents could ask questions, voice their concerns, and I can let them know what my comfort level is. And if they want to accept what my program is, then that's great. They don't have to do anything. They're already enrolled. If they decide that's not best for their family, I offered them a full refund. I was able to present my side of what I would like to offer and parents could hop on or they can opt out. Either way, it was fine with me. And I was able to keep most of my students and I actually had some extra students who I'd never worked with before enroll. So once some parents decided they didn't want to do online, they were just going to take the summer off. I was able to give them a refund that opened up some other spaces for students who I'd never worked with and they were enrolling and they were looking for something to do online. So my point is the need for art lessons that are relevant and fun and engaging didn't change. It was just up to me to change the delivery method. 
Now, this was before distance learning began. It was still in the works, and a lot of teachers, administrators, school staff, people were still trying to plan on how to actually do distance learning. And we've learned a lot that year. And since then, a lot of people have felt Zoom fatigue. They felt like it didn't work for their students. And that's fine. That's something that we experienced and recognizing it is something that is valuable. However, there were some students who did better by doing online and they were able to focus more on what the lessons were and they had their own level of engagement. Really depends on the student, depends on their environment, their access to Wi-Fi and a computer, but I was able to give six full weeks of art camp in a way that was different to me and them, but we did it together. So I'll tell you some of the things that I did that were successful. Fortunately, I was at a point where I had not purchased all of the supplies that I needed for the projects. Having a project in person is very different from having a project at home. You really have to think about every single item, every single tool, every single thing that the students need in order to make a project and make sure that they have that. So I really took into consideration what my students might have at home already and the things that I would need to purchase for them. Anything that I purchased, I did in bulk and I was able to put a little bit of everything into a plastic container with a lid and deliver those packages to all of my students. I found a really good deal on plastic lidded containers at Home Depot. I put an assembly line together and I was able to put enough of a, of a material and or tools into these containers and I delivered them to their homes. So some of the basics that I had were some kid-sized scissors, a small bottle of Elmer's glue. I included a paintbrush if we were using a paintbrush during that week. So I also had some blank paper and any kind of specialty paper for them that I put inside a file folder with their name on it. And I delivered that along with the box of supplies. Each week I would have different projects but there was some overlap. I didn't want to have all brand new projects every single week, even though I did have some students repeat weeks. That's just something I let them know ahead of time. They can do the project a second time, or they can give it to a sibling, or they can make the same project again, but change something on their own, which I always encourage. So I thought about what kind of projects students would like to do at home that are relevant to the time. And I made sure to use simple materials that had very easy to explain directions. This takes skill. This is where your brain really comes into play for making something, developing something that is simple to explain, but also easy to create. That's not just, oh, just draw a picture. 
I typically turn to Pinterest for ideas as starting points, and I'll make changes to the projects to make it more my own. One of the things we did was make a bar of soap. We also made bath bombs, and I pre-measured the ingredients. I found some small Ziploc containers from Daiso. Daiso was my favorite. And I found some really fun little tools for them to use to add the scent and to add some color. I found tiny frozen yogurt spoons to help them scoop the ingredients and put them into a bowl to stir up. I found some really inexpensive eyedroppers so they could feel like they were really doing a project like a science experiment. So they're little tools that I found that were very inexpensive, but they felt very special as they were making their projects. When you're doing that, keep in mind what parents might object to. For example, loose glitter is not a good idea. It's something I don't recommend adding. But if you do want to have some kind of glitter in their projects, scrapbook paper that's pre-glittered is pretty nice. Some of it does have some fallout where glitter does come off if you scrape it lightly, but there are different ways to make something sparkly, even if it's not super, super messy. Something else I included in their kits were little finger puppets, like rubber monsters and little panda bears, little things that I found on Oriental Trading Company. They have all those little knickknacks because when we're doing something over Zoom, it's pretty fun to have a prop as we're all meeting together and seeing each other. And even back then, Zoom fatigue was real. Now that they've had a year to do remote learning, it's even more real now. And we've learned so much over the last year about what works and what doesn't. But you might find yourself in a position where you want to offer a class online because of the new variant, the Omicron variant that's been going around your school or some schools in your area might be closing down. And even though there are people quarantining, that doesn't remove the need for art. Anyways, if you are thinking about doing a Zoom class, I'm going to give you some tips on what I learned is really helpful for when I was doing online learning too. So the first thing is to always look at the camera as much as you can rather than scanning all the students. Think about what they see as opposed to what you see. This makes a big difference when a student is talking, if it's their turn to share or if they're talking to you. Look at that little green light or your camera and not at the window that shows the student. A lot. I like to have my um, zoom on gallery view so I can see everybody and what they're doing. But to them, I look distracted. I'm not looking at them. I found when I look at that little dot, that little light, they feel more of a connection with me. And that's what's important rather than what I can see. At the beginning of your Zoom call, ask the students or the adult who's with them to change their name on Zoom to reflect their student's name. Sometimes little ones are using their parents' account, 
So make sure that the student's name is showing in their window. This is really helpful for when you are talking to them. You can use their name frequently so they feel seen by you. And that's really a helpful tool. It's like they have their name tags on. If you want this, the class to be on, on mute for the entire time, unless you call their name, tell them that at the beginning. Let them know, um, keep, your, keep your computer on mute until um, if I call your name or if you want to say something, a comment, a question, or a connection, put your hand up like this and model for them. If you put your hand up really high and kind of close to the camera, then you can see their hand and you know for sure that they have a question. It's going to be fairly quiet and you have to be comfortable with that. Accept that you're not going to hear all that noise and that might be comforting for you as the teacher, but it does feel weird. If you are used to in-person learning, it does feel weird. So sit with that and accept that and know that it is going to be a lot more quiet than normal. I did a painting lesson recently and I had the students mimic what kind of paint strokes we're going to do before we even started the project. So I worked with a group of students who wanted to learn about the painter Alma Thomas. My presentation went with a slideshow with some background that told the story about who Alma Thomas was and what she stood for and some examples of her artwork. Alma Thomas was famous for creating artwork that looked like a mosaic in the last part of her life when her career really took off. She was an artist who painted lots of different styles, but she's mostly known for her sort of pats of color on canvas. So I went with that and told my students, we're gonna be doing pats of color just like Alma did. Before we even got our paints out, I had them hold one hand out flat and pretend like that hand is the canvas. And then use your pointer finger to pretend like that is a paintbrush. Now we're going to just simply touch or pat our finger onto our flat hand and that gave them the sense of what kind of movements they were going to be doing when they began their painting and that was a really important way to prepare for the lesson if you would like to do a lesson focusing on alma thomas i have resources for you go to artwithmizy.com alma hyphen thomas you'll see a collection of her artwork there's also a video where I tell a little bit about her and lead you in a collage activity. You'll also find a slideshow presentation that I created in Canva. And this was a great presentation to share over Zoom. If you are hosting the Zoom call, all you have to do is share your screen. There's no audio, so you can talk over it. Um, and if you are a guest in someone else's Zoom, be sure to ask them ahead of time to make you co-host so that you can share your screen, click on present, and you can click through the slideshow presentation. And I hope that you enjoy talking about her. Again, the link is artwithmizy.com.
com slash Alma hyphen Thomas. That's A-R-T-W-I-T-H-M-S-Y dot com. Thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram at artwithmizy. That's A-R-T-W-I-T-H-M-S dot Y or on Facebook. And you can find really fun activities on my website, artwithmizy.com.